Welcome to Structural Shifts by Aperture, a bi-weekly show that radically reimagines the future of work, society, and business. We take a devil's advocate approach to exploring the massive shifts transforming our economies and our world, and our guests are not afraid to challenge the status quo. To learn more about Aperture, visit Aperture.co. Today's guests are reinventing the way the world measures how sustainable companies really are. Yes, they say we do have ESG data and CSR reporting, but those measure practices rather than impact, and they describe policies rather than outcomes. So in this episode, the co-founders of Impact are sitting down with host Ben Robinson to talk about how they are creating the Wikipedia of Impact Investing. Their web platform leverages the collective intelligence of a large community of members to assess the social and environmental impact of large listed companies. And the goal is to give investors and financial institutes the data they need to allocate capital to the companies who are having the most positive impact. And also to give everyday citizens the information they need to decide who they want to work for, who to buy from, who to advocate for. Sylvain Masso is co-founder and CFO of Impact, and he has spent more than 25 years in investment banking in London and Geneva. And co-founder Bertrand Gaston is CEO of Impact, and he has also spent 20 years in traditional finance with the last 15 in sustainable financing and impact investing. Enjoy the show. Okay, so uh, both of you, thank you so much for coming on the Structural Chefs podcast. I wanted to start by just talking about the ESG market, sustainable investing in general. Is it to direct resources away from potentially harmful industries, those that are socially or environmentally harmful? Or is it about getting a better return on investment because you're investing in things that are sustainable? Well, actually, the the answer should be both, actually. (laughs) And this is uh, always started, but there's been many different layers and uh, approaches when uh, sustainable investment developed over time. It all started with exclusion, but we also called negative screening. That was actually created more than a century ago. And the main purpose of that approach was really to uh, align your uh, your values with your investment portfolio. So getting rid of, you know, tobacco, weapons, alcohol. It was mainly faith-based organization that started with that. And for many, many decades, it remained something, you know, very basic in terms of how sophisticated these approaches were. And then it turned into, um, uh, at the beginning of the uh, 1980s, it turned into something more uh, uh, advanced where we replaced the exclusion approach by positive screening. So instead of, of getting rid of the bad guys, the idea was to start trying to measure how good and responsible were the good guys. And this is where the ESG score started to uh, to come into place. Um, and uh, at that time, it was still about uh, trying to invest more responsibly, more sustainably. And it took another decade before we figured out that uh, actually you can uh, have both performance, financial performance, and sustainable investments. And uh, this is where also the uh, impact investing dimension appeared and, and, and went in, in top of those previous uh, approaches that I've just described, where the idea is really to uh, identify companies that are doing good and bringing positive impact to the world and society and the planet, uh, while at the same time making sure you uh, you can uh, make profit out of that. In other words, you don't have to sacrifice returns if you want to kind of do the right thing. Is, is it just sort of, you know, pressure from institutional investors and retail investors 
that's driving this market? Are there, are there other forces, regulatory or any other drivers? Well, it's a combination of many things. At the beginning, it was really more uh, a few private investors willing to uh, you know, advance in, in that uh, direction. Uh, but then uh, once uh, some track record has been established, uh, institutional investors wanted to follow through. And, and this is now very much driven by consumer demand, particularly with the generation shift that we, we, we saw and uh, so-called infamous millennials that are uh, looking for, uh, for this kind of alignment, but also because the uh, regulators are following through. And we, we saw very recently the uh, EU taxonomy uh, that is a, a whole set of, of regulation that is trying to establish some common language and, and common ground to define what sustainable investing is all about. And this in turn is, uh, is, is accelerate, further accelerating the, uh, the movement in, in the financial industry uh, because the pressure is just coming from, uh, from all places at the same time. But I have to say what really has been the, the biggest accelerators in the last three years is really has been financial performance. When bankers started to realize that the uh, performance of portfolios actually was better when you invest uh, according to ESG standard than not, then of course this has this has led to a, a whole shift in the financial industry. So uh, I read that 2019 was another record year for ESG funds or inflows into ESG funds. How big is ESG investing today? As a in, in absolute terms and also as a share of or values. Sure, and then you know you you have to realize that you know the definition of ESG is actually quite loose. So by that we are talking about everything starting from exclusion strategies that we were referring to, best in class, and all other strategies like impact that are best estimates. Although the data start to be a bit stale, is that it's probably about 30 trillion US dollar worth of assets which are invested with some kind of ESG strategy attached to it. So if you relate that to the total size of the um, asset management market, which is about 80, 90 trillions, it's about one third of the total market, which is now exposed to ESG. And Bertrand just mentioned that the performance has been better than other funds, non-ESG funds. Do you have statistics on that as well? I think the jury is still a bit out whether you know you are generating constantly a better return out of ESG portfolio. Although in the past few years, I mean, there've been factors like you know excluding some sectors uh, in the, the energy sector, typically, which has been helping the performance. But what we can say for sure is it's not a detractor performance, which was the accusation that you had back a few years ago that uh, by investing ESG you were sacrificing returns. You also mentioned that the, the year 2015, and this has been an important year because this is the year where uh, uh, the Sustainable Development Goals were created by the United Nations, also the year of the uh, Paris Agreement, and it's also the year of the Dieselgate from uh, Volkswagen. And yeah. so those three events coming together uh, have led to kind of wake-up call also in the financial industry, and uh, some players started to remove from their portfolios those uh, high ESG risks company which in turn uh, might have also uh, explained part of the movement that we saw and therefore the, uh, the, uh, the increased performance that, uh, that, that, was, that, that happened in the, in the next uh, few years. So was, are we able to trace the 2015 and a very big jump in ESG interest and influence? 
I think there's been progressive. I mean, it didn't just like happen all of a sudden with uh, people waking up in the morning and switching all of their portfolios. But a number of uh, part of the growth of the industry is uh, really also to, to deal with uh, what we call integration. So it's not only new funds being created and raising assets, it's also other strategies being transformed into green strategies or sustainable strategies, which mean that part of the assets, you know, that were there before, all of a sudden became ESGSF or sustainable assets, which also explain the, you know, how we could go so so quickly into uh, into trillions and trillions of dollars being invested. Do you think COVID nineteen is also going to act as a driver for this market? Well, the first data that we saw, uh, uh, yes, uh, pushing into that direction. I just uh, came across a graph showing that the inflows in the uh, ESG and uh, sustainable investment strategies is uh, almost twice as much as the inflows in, in more traditional uh, strategies since the beginning of the COVID uh, crisis. I'm not sure there's a direct relationship of that. Maybe this would have happened anyway yeah. with or without the COVID, but for sure it has not been slowing down the process. And uh, as I was mentioning now, that performance has been uh, it's a topic that is no longer a, a reason not to go into investment, into sustainable investment. And we see uh, a huge wave of transformation in the financial industry. And what used to be a niche only five years ago is now becoming completely mainstream. So you will struggle finding you know, any major bank in the world not doing sustainable investment today. That was going to be my next question, actually, which is, you know, if if sustainable investing is kind of, you know, is doing the right thing and performance doesn't suffer when you do the right thing, then, you know, are there still any holdouts? There's still banks or, or fund managers that don't offer ESG funds and indexes and ETFs. Yeah, of course, you, you still find, uh, you know, some, some boutiques or specialized asset managers that are on very specific strategies where uh, ESG integration is not so easy or maybe their clients are not so, you know, so uh, interested into that. So you still find a few, but, you know, uh, that was exactly the reverse only uh, six or seven years ago. You would only find a few companies that are really doing sustainable investment as their core offering. So... Uh, uh, now, of course, if you look at the details of that, you, you might you might find very different realities, and uh, and you know behind the uh, the communication and marketing uh, um, strategy of, of those different asset managers, how deep and how serious they are in the integration of ESG is is, is and then you find very different situations. Yeah, if the issue is about uh, potential greenwashing. Yeah, because it is not fashionable and uh, a lot of these assets have only a very tiny overlay of ESG attached to them. And it's, it's a very easy to kind of uh, green your portfolios, you know, just uh, by pretending you integrate some ESG or environmental and social criteria. What does it mean in practice, you know, how, how much your investment decision is really being affected by those criteria. Is it something you just use to slightly inform your uh, research or is it something that we trigger some uh, divestment or investment decisions, right? And and uh, this whole level of details is really why you can tell the difference between uh, the one that are doing it seriously and the one that are just doing it because it, it's it's become fashionable, as, as Simon was saying. Do you believe that this really makes a difference to the green agenda as compared to you know, technology change or government action, are we really moving the needle with ESG investing? The answer probably yes and no. And we can see companies that have made a lot of progress when it, is, when it comes to adapting their, their practices in terms of their processes to become more sustainable in, in many industries, actually. Um, 
Now, all these good changes that happen, and I have to say many companies uh, that have really embraced the change, have done some progress and have made some progress in terms of becoming more sustainable in their practices. But where we're really missing the picture is that the ESG data is only about practices. And uh, it has not forced the financial uh, industry so far to really rethink asset allocation or sector allocation, right? Because it's being more or less agnostic in terms of uh, what is your core business. What it does tell you is that, uh, you know, if you want to pick a car, make, a car maker, it will tell you which of those car maker is more sustainable than another one. But it does not tell you whether it's better to invest in cars than it is to invest in bikes or, or whether it's better to invest in, in oil energy uh, rather than to invest in renewable energy, right? It doesn't tell you that. And this is where we probably uh, missed a, last, a big part, a big chunk of the, of the need we have to transform the, much more, to transform the economy in a much deeper way by really using impact measurement and not just uh, ESG measurements to make uh, informed decisions. So, is there anything you want to add? Because I think we're getting into the next topic, which is you know the problems with the way that we do ESG calculations today and yeah. ranking. No, I guess you know uh, we look at it also from the from the pool of assets uh, which are available. And there's no denying that you know, asset managers can exert some pressure on the companies. There's no denying that these large companies manage uh, the biggest investment, you know, compared with the smaller companies. And I think, you know, with ESG, we have example like, you know, back uh, 10, 15 years ago, where governance was not necessarily very much on the agenda of people uh, and companies. And where now, you know, ESG uh, governance has become basically mainstream. So I think it really matters to have these ESG uh, strategies to make the world change. Companies care because it affects man- managers' compensation. And so they want to be ranked well and, and that therefore affects the way that they invest or the kinds of investments they make. So it's, that's how it feeds in. That's how it does make a difference, I think, through, through, through um, compensation. Yeah, through emulation. I mean, uh, through competition as well. You know, there's nothing that a manager hates more than just to see the direct competitor having a better ranking or better sustainability ranking that they do. So, so there's a number of drivers there, and uh, and I think all of that has created a good uh, momentum in the market. Uh, we now really need to go beyond ESG because for all the good thing that ESG has brought, we are still not moving again the. Uh, the transformation of the economy uh, at a pace that is uh, the one we need to address the many challenges that we have, and uh, and, and this is uh, this is more than time now to to go beyond ESG. It was a good way to start with that. It has already led to uh, to some good movement and good changes. Uh, I think you know most managers are really keen to uh, to see their rating being you know improving over time, but now it's really time to to go one step further. And uh, the financial industry has a has a very strong responsibility in triggering that change because there's, there's nobody uh, that, uh, than, than managers and CEOs listen more than their shareholders just because of the compensation that you mentioned, right? What is the, if we, if we really get down to sort of first principles, what is the issue with the way that ESG rankings are, the way that ESG rankings are calculated today? You know, it's really looking at the practices, you know, whether a company has good policies in place, but it's not going to judge whether the product and services of that company having a positive or negative impact on the planet and society. So I'll just give you one very, you know, very, very simple example, which is uh, an example which we've been exposed to in our former life as a professional of finance. 
If you look at the energy sector, if you want to take the company with the best ESG rating within the energy sector, it happens to be Repsol. Nothing against Repsol. I mean, it's a, it's a very well-managed company and it's got very good policies in place. It's very transparent about what it does, about the reporting of their emission and so on. At the end of the day, it's a company which is producing uh, fossil fuel, uh, which has a very big uh, carbon footprint. You take a company in the, in the typically in the uh, renewable energy sector, smaller company, I mean, the footprint is obviously much better, but these companies do not necessarily have the same policies in place. They do not communicate as well as Repsol. So you get in front of the client and you tell him, you know, I selected the best company in the energy sector. So you should be happy to see that it is Repsol. It just doesn't work. If you really want to understand whether this company has a positive or negative impact on the planet. So even a renewable energy company scores worse than Repsol? Much worse. But again, there's nothing wrong with what the traditional ESG provider are telling you because they're only interested in measuring whether this is a good company with good practices, good policies. And that doesn't judge the portfolio itself. And why has the industry focused on procedures and not impact? Is it just because it's very easy to objectively judge procedures, but it's hard to objectively judge impact? Is that the reason? I don't think so. I think the, the, the main reason is that it was the demand at the time. ESG started 20 years ago, and 20 years ago, the idea was to say, okay, a good company is no longer just a company that is making profit. You know, we should also care about responsibility. And so it was more the question about how responsible is that company in, in, and how they drive their business, how they run their operations. So, so the question was, you know, trying to find out whether those guys do things right, right? And uh, this is how ESG started. So um, you, you get interested in what are your policies, or you make sure you treat your employees right, or you make sure you control your supply chain and, and, and reduce your environmental pollution. But it's just about how responsible you are, not what is your global impact on, uh, on the world and, and society, right? And those are two different questions. And uh, again, at that time, we were happy with uh, the answers of the first one, but the time has come now to, to move to the next one. And uh, the time has come to, to go... You know, ESG is about finding whether the companies are, are doing things right. Impact is about finding whether companies are doing the right thing. And that's very different. But let's face it, it's also true that it is much easier to assess the practices of companies than the impact of companies which have, you know, huge portfolios, multi multifaceted products operating in many different countries. It's much easier to send a questionnaire to a company to say, are you having the right policy there? Than to making the, the full assessment of the portfolio. Yeah, because I guess it's not. It's a question of both data that exists, right? So, what is the carbon footprint of the company? But also, how do you judge, for example, you know, pumping effluents into the into the river versus pumping carbon into the atmosphere? How do you make value judgments about these different impacts? Yeah, this is uh, you're, you're touching uh, on uh, on some of the flows of the uh, of the existing ESG methodology. The first one is that. Uh, uh, of course, if you if you only are interested in practices, the best thing you have to do is to ask the companies, right? So uh, a large part of the information is just coming from the companies. And Sylvain was right to mention that this is done through questionnaires that are sent to companies, and companies answer to those questionnaires, and they say, how you calculate your ESG scores. Now, the impact, you know, is, is much broader, and uh, the company might not be 
the best organization when it comes to answering what is the global impact that you have on the planet and society. Just take the example of, I don't know, any tech company like uh, Facebook, right? Facebook has as many impact on the world in terms of democracy, privacy, um, you know, access to information, fake news. I mean, we, we saw many of these issues, uh, some of them, you know, being very important in terms of scale uh, that they can have and in, 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 in the impact they can have on the world. Well, I'm not sure that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is the best person to ask when it comes at measuring, uh, you know, the, the, the diversity of, the, of these impacts. So we need to have a different approach that can um, be a lot more open, that can look into different sources and not just the company, and that can really look at impacts and not just practices. And this is really was the frustration that we had with Sigma when we used those data uh, in the financial industry because we were also using these ESG data we always got frustrated to the fact that uh, with the fact that they they were not measuring what matters and they were not getting the information where it was the most uh, relevant to, to do so. A lot of companies are now looking at this, right? So a lot of companies are, I would, I would say, taking a, a data approach to this, right? So not, if you like, a questionnaire approach, but a sort of big data approach to trying to calculate the broader impact of companies. Why is it that you th- you you are not pursuing the same approach, or at least are de- deviating? Why do you see that there was a gap for a different approach? I guess to start with, you know, the problem with the impact measurement done by companies themselves at the moment. And just to be clear, we're talking here about large, complex companies. Uh, it is it is kind of self-assessment. Yeah. And being self-assessment, which means that you know you see there's a lot of cherry picking. And these companies are going to report on what they are doing well. You know, we take the framework of the sustainable development goals, and there you know, a lot of companies are now reporting what they're doing on the SDGs. But then you end up with situations like uh, Philip Morris uh, saying that they have a positive impact on SDG 3, which is about uh, health and well-being. And it's just because, again, you know, they, they are cherry-picking. And the problem we have here, you know, we've been talking about greenwashing, the SDGs are you know, this set of 17 goals of different colors. So now we're talking about rainbow washing. If you really just ask the companies, again, they're going to tell you what they're doing well, but not what they are not doing so well, whether the negative externalities from the businesses. We now have almost like a framework that's emerging to, for us to start to be able to, to calculate impacts, judge impact, the broader impact of companies. So why not just take a big data approach because I mean maybe this is the moment for you to tell us a bit more about impact but you're taking a much much more radical approach right, which involves you know creating content yourselves right so so what why take the approach that you're taking rather than just seek to sort of you know leverage additional data sets and, and take some sort of big data approach I guess you know, the issue you have is that assessing the impact the company has uh, according to one SDG is not something which can just uh, be uh, measured in quantitative terms. There's a lot of qualitative assessment also to do about that. There's also a lack of data. As I said earlier, you know, a lot of the data come from the company themselves. So you really have to dig to, to get to the data and you have to analyze this data. So pure big data approach will not enable you to necessarily understand the impact that the company has on each of these SDGs, which is the reason why we thought, you know, we still need the human brain, but one human brain is not sufficient to 
measure all the different aspects of the impact of a given company, and which is why we thought, you know, rather than just going for either you know, an expert model or a big data model, what is probably uh, the most interesting approach here is to use collective intelligence. Okay, but tell us a bit more then about impact and this idea of how you're leveraging collective intelligence. Yeah, so the, the idea really was, as I was mentioning, was uh, we wanted to create a system that was really looking at impact. We knew that it would be difficult, we knew it would be challenging, so we actually looked at big data as uh, one of the first uh, you know, intuitive way of doing that, and we realized for the reason that Sylvain just mentioned that it was not the right way. I mean, we still use uh, artificial intelligence to support the work of our uh, analysts, but at the end of the day, we still need to have people that look at data, are able to put that into perspective, are able to uh, you know, um, also confront their views in a process of these, you know, building these, these kind of collectively built knowledge around the uh, impact of companies. Um, in the process, it works very much like a Wikipedia of this world, right? Where it's not one single person is telling you about the impact of the company, but it's, it's, it's many brains, you know, that are each of them having a little part of the information. And we find a way of not only verifying that information because collective intelligence is also of course an open door to a lot of distortion and manipulation so you have to get the the quality control process very right very very uh, very strict but once this is done if you find a way of gathering all of that data and organizing it in a stricted way to the data then you can you know can really build a very strong and robust knowledge about the impact of companies and this is the the model that we we, we started with actually and we refined over time and uh, now I'm very confident about uh, the value added that it is really providing in terms of, you know, um, in comparison with, with any other solution that we can find on the market. Was Wikipedia the inspiration? And did you not think that that was just, you know, an absolutely massively ambitious mission? And that, that, that didn't put you off. You, would, you didn't think that you might be entering to something that was... Well, you know, uh, you're not to pull off. If you want to get to the moon, then you have to wait for the stars, right? That's uh, what it's like a moonshot, right? To create a sort of Wikipedia it's, or, or findings. Yeah, so it is huge. I mean, uh, we, we, we're starting to, uh, to concentrate on the, on the 1,500 largest companies of the world. At one point in time, we want to, you know, we want to cover many more. But even that, that number of companies is already a huge challenge because uh, each of them have many impacts in many different directions and you need to document each of them write a report, a small report on it, and making sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the analysis that's been written is, is entirely vetted, that you check, uh, fact check all the sources. So it's a lot of work at the end of the day, but the machinery that uh, we've been able to create uh, has proven that it's working. Uh, we have now, uh, we were discussing that before the, the, the podcast started to be recorded, but we have, uh, um, our main challenge is more to, uh, uh, to review all the analyses that are being published on the platform or submit to the platform uh, on a daily basis and to create the content itself. So, so yeah, it is working now and, uh, and it is proven to, uh, it's proving to be a very uh, disruptive and very interesting. And, uh, and uh, the sky is the limit in a way because the, the, the bigger is the community. And uh, of course, uh, the more data we're able to process and the more research we're able to produce. And so uh, as long as we keep that, uh, this capacity to uh, to attract new people to uh, uh, into uh, in, on board into the journey, uh, then there is no reason to uh, to limit uh, the, the the growth capacity of uh, of, of this platform. Yeah. 
I guess, you know, the, then obviously the, the one issue is that we were probably a bit naive initially thinking that, uh, you know, collective intelligence, anyone would be able to contribute and that the amalgamation of all these contributions would get us to a good result. The reality is a bit more complex. So in order to get people to write on impact, you need to train them, which is what we do through our certification. Then in order to make sure that they write on the relevant topics, uh, you have to really build a framework of the most important topic, whether positive or negative, for each industry. And this is what also we're working on today. So to make sure that, you know, on top of what people can come up with, quite naturally, we make sure that all the important topics are addressed for each industry, for each company in each industry. And this is where artificial intelligence gets into the picture, right? This is, uh, this is where we use technology to basically uh, uh, ease the work of the uh, contributors on the platform, give them access to uh, research and sources, but also uh, being able to uh, identify all of those core topics that Sylvain just mentioned and make sure that they're properly covered by, by your analysts. Do you think it's been harder to try to build this from Geneva just because, you know, here we don't have a, 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 you know, a, a rich group of, of tech companies and people that you can turn to for advice and examples of successful companies that have done this before? So do, do you think it was harder both from, because there isn't this of ecosystem here that you can tap into, also because maybe there isn't the same level of tech talent? I have a different view on that. Actually, I, I think that Geneva was a chance for us. Um, first of all, because we're not, I would not describe Impact as a tech company. You know, uh, of course, we do have a tech platform. Of course, we need to get tech right. But what we do is not rocket science in a sense that it doesn't require, you know, the most advanced tech people in the world. We do have a, a, uh, a data scientist and CTO, which is a PhD uh, in data science from EPFL and, uh, and, uh, you know, for, for what we need, that's, that's uh, you know, already uh, uh, the, the kind of level that we have is, is really good enough. Mm. Um, but in, in the other way around, I think probably the idea of impact would not have been, um, uh, you know, uh, a bone uh, somewhere else than, uh, than in Geneva. I mean, we have a unique ecosystem there where the financial center sits together with uh, United Nations and... Uh, and many international organizations. So it, it's, it's, it's a very small city in a way where all the, the finance people can, uh, you know, uh, meet with the uh, impact people in a way in a less than uh, 15 minutes of uh, public transportation. And that ecosystem is probably what also has nurture or, or, uh, or thinking process, what also has, has put impact investing uh, in, in uh, you know, at the forefront of our career path. And this might have not been, uh, you know, this might have not happened uh, if we were based in London or, or New York, because just impact investing was not as mature in those cities at that time that it was the case in Geneva. And frankly, for what we are doing, we feel that the value really lies in the community we are living. That's what will make, you know, impact a success. And the community is neither in London nor in New York nor in Geneva. It's got to be really uh, all over the world. And what we've been building with our certification our webinars is basically recruiting people from Mumbai to uh, to uh, any city you know in Central America or in Africa. I guess I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, which is the actually the unique properties of the ecosystem here might actually give it this 
a boost. Because I was thinking more, more from the point of view of, you know, this is a platform company, you've got to solve this chicken and egg problem. And, you know, hundreds of companies have done this in the United States, very few of them have done it in Europe. I was thinking about it from, from that point of view. But this, maybe let's just kind of, you know, double click on that chicken and egg problem and how you've step by step overcome it. So as you took, took, took us through that. So you, you mentioned certification, you mentioned trying to build a community. How difficult has it been and how many sort of, you know, wrong steps did the, you take the, along the way? Yeah, I guess, you know, the, probably the first assumption, the wrong assumption we made is that, you know, people would find it easy to write a, a short analysis, which is really the building block of our platform, you know, 2,000 characters analysis. The reality is that there are many pitfalls. Writing about impact, as I said, it's not straightforward. People keep writing about the practices of the company because yeah. it's easier. They keep writing about remediation because it's easier to find some information yeah. about how much a company has reduced their pollution, but they still remain a big polluter. Which is so the first issue for us was we cannot just rely on the any layman. We need to train these people, which is why we build this certification to make sure they know how to write a good analysis. And this has turned into uh, being the, you know, probably the, the best idea we have because not only uh, it, uh, it, it uh, developed the skills of our community in terms of, you know, the level of quality we want to see in the content we produce, but it's just turned out to be the number one uh, engine for uh, attracting new, yeah. new members, right? So uh, probably 50%, if not more, of all the... Uh, um, the visitors that we have today on the platform, the users of the platform, not just those who contribute, but also those who are doing the ratings and the readings, most of them have heard about us through the uh, certification program. And this is how we build the community. This is how we create the skills. This is how we engage also with the community because the way the certification works is uh, not only just a webinar you attend to and you look you, you at a nice movie for one and a half hour, then you have assignment to do. So you get you know, in touch with instructors that are working at Impact, and you have this ongoing exchange and discussions with them. They would guide you in terms of improving your work. And this does create a very uh, robust and very engaging relationship with, uh, with the, the community that uh, we are leveraging today in terms of uh, making sure uh, not only the community uh, increases in terms of size, but uh, in terms of how uh, active that committee is on the platform. And uh, we're talking about chicken and egg situation. You know, it took us some time before we figure out how to do about that. But I think the certification has really been one of the major steps uh, in terms of solving that issue. And uh, if I look at the, the figures, you uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a quarter of all the people that come to the platform today are regular visitors, which for this kind of platform is a very yeah. important number, right? If you look at the number of TripAdvisor, you know, some people go there once or twice a year, uh, and the, the vast majority, you know, they only go there and then they never come back. For us, we are in a situation where a quarter of the community are regular users, and that, that's a that's a huge achievement, and this is related to the certification program very much. But in fairness, the second issue we had, which was related to the first one, is that once we had the certification and we had people doing the certification, you have to wonder why they're doing the certification. And a lot of people thought, you know, it's great. That's actually something I can add to my CV. So we were investing a lot of time in training people to become good impact analysis writers. But once they had the certification, then they disappeared. So it was a, a sort of never-ending investment. 
And what we then realized, and it was maybe down to our initial naivety, is that for people to carry on writing, they needed incentives. And that's by starting to pay contributors once they are certified that we have been able to build a community of these regular contributors who do not just come for the certification, but want to continue contribute afterwards. So people come to do the certification program because they're interested in this space and they want to make a difference, right? And then you keep them engaged by, by paying them for their for their contributions, right? So so this so like the supply side is working quite well now because people are producing things to a good enough standards and they're and they're regularly contributing. And it should be you know snowballing in the sense that you know you have the people that you have trained who become regular contributors and you keep training new people on top of that. Got it. Okay. And that's created, if you like, a bit of a bottleneck around the review process and ensuring a consistent quality. But I guess that's solvable, right? Yes, and by different means. I mean, we just basically replicated the success that we had with the certification program, but just created the same thing for the reviewing team, right? So uh, we created a certification in, for reviewers. Uh, you have first have to be a certified impact analyst, and then you can, you know, apply for the certificate, certified reviewer program. And then we create a similar community. Of course, it is not driven out of the same kind of incentives and same profile of people, but we just build a community of, uh, of both external freelancers and internal staff that are managing that. And so we have the scalability that we need as well uh, on that front. And what is the profile of the people that contribute impact notes? And the profile of people that review the document. We have not necessarily checked lately, and it's obviously fast evolving as our yeah community is is, uh, is growing very fast. But uh, I would say uh, it's neither the very young nor the very old, in the sense that we thought initially we would have a lot of students, but maybe they don't have the time. They should have the interest, but then let's assume they don't have the time. It's more like, uh, I would say, middle-aged professional or young professional in their 30s with an interest in uh, sustainability. A lot of people are already involved in sustainability, but not all of them. Some are just wanting to discover about sustainability and, you know, a, a profile which is extremely international. As I said earlier, you know, we have people from Asia, we have people from Africa, we have people from Europe and North America, also South America. And you said that interests that are involved in sustainability. What, what does that mean? So these, these are finance professionals or much more general than that? It's very diverse. We got people from very different professional backgrounds. Some of them are engineers, some of them are teachers, some of them uh, even not so many and then much less than what we initially thought they are students. Um, but they, yeah, they, they come from very different backgrounds, both uh, geographically and in terms of uh, education and in terms of uh, professional experience. And, and this is actually what we want. We want to have that diversity because we know that the collective intelligence mechanism work at best when you've got that, that diversity in the, in the community. And, uh, and this is one of the joy that we realize is that we were able to attract uh, very good people. I have to say that the, uh, the common alignment in sustainability is one of the key features we want to encourage even more. And this is also one of the lessons that, uh, that we learn is that uh, we see that the quality and uh, the insightfulness of the analysis that are being submitted on the platform to be reviewed, they, use, they tend to be much better, much higher 
when the people are really sincerely passionate, genuinely passionate, passionate about sustainability, than when it's about just people you know that have been attracted because they're a reward, a financial reward, and they just want to get the money. And we can tell at the end of the day that it's making a difference. And so we also are trying to find ways of making sure we expand the community uh, by looking for those, uh, you know, sustainability aligned uh, type of profiles. I guess you need a certain critical mass of companies under coverage before you can attract the banks and other users onto the platform. How's that going? How easy is it now to, to recruit the buy side onto the platform? Are you meaning clients? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I think that for, for that we have a roadmap. And you know, there's a lot of chicken and egg here, which yes. is difficult, where you need the financing, but at the same time, you don't have the content. And this is what we decided we would focus on first. Right or wrongly, we assume that uh, unless you have at least you know 1,000 companies under coverage, the companies which represent the bulk of the portfolio of the large asset managers, you're not going to be uh, on the map. So uh, what we are doing is we are building content first, we are working together with some what we call pilot clients who are here you know, also to help us understanding what are the fast evolving needs of the financial community because you know we both exited the industry only a few years ago but we realized that things may be changing and it's only you know by the middle of next year when we feel that we have decent coverage on the 1000 largest companies that we will be really able to engage on a large scale with uh, the asset management community. What do you think they're going to do with the platform? And it might seem like a, like a very silly question, but I mean, do you, so obviously we hope that they will use the platform to make investment decisions, but do you think that they'll build applications on the platform? Do you think that they'll base financial products on, on the information from the platform? How practically do you think that this will go, go into, you know, in, in, into practical use. Yeah, this is uh, this is what we hope. Otherwise, we would have uh, probably missed our mission because our mission is not just to build good data; it's to make sure that uh, you know uh, financial the financial community are using this uh, this data to uh, make uh, an investment decision. Otherwise, we're not changing the world, right? So yes, we do uh, hope that this is going to happen, and this is what is already happening with uh, ESG data. Uh, we mentioned at the beginning of that uh, podcast, you know, that not all of them are using the data in the in a way that is uh, sufficiently deep. But many do, and uh, and the, the more it goes, and the more portfolio uh, uh, managers are using this data, just because, as I was mentioning, it's also driving performance. So they are, you know, they have an interest in making sure that they really use the data to make an investment decision. So they're already doing that today. But what is happening is that we see an increasing number of people within the community that are starting to realize, you know, the limits of the ESG rating that we have already detailed. Uh, this is not already. The majority, because you have to remember that most of them just discovered those ESG data only one one year or two years ago. Uh, so level of maturity is not always the same within the, the, the financial industry. But, uh, you know, every single week now you start to see reports or articles about, you know, the need to go beyond ESG, the limits of ESG and why we need to look at impact. And so as the, the industry becomes more sophisticated, uh, what we believe is that uh, those that are already using ESG data to inform their portfolio management practices, and tomorrow they would just use impact uh, data to do the same thing. But do, you, do you believe it will be the same use cases, or do you believe there will be different use yeah. cases, and do you believe it might go beyond finance? 
uh, about the use case. Uh, the beauty about the impact is that you know you can look at uh, sort of overall scores uh, and then do some reporting on typically on your portfolio, make some adjustment. But the way impact is built, the platform is built, is many different building blocks which we can reassemble in different ways. So people may use it just to understand what is the score of the company they have in the portfolio, but they may be interested in one dimension, you know, peace, I may be interested in gender equality, specific topic of water, and that platform will enable them to understand other companies' score on this specific dimension, which I believe, you know, the existing ASG tool do not necessarily enable you to, to do at this stage. And you're right, I mean, uh, our, our initial uh, focus was on the financial industry because this is also the uh, industry we, we know more about, yep. we we're familiar with, but uh, we are convinced that this data is of, is of interest and it brings value to many more stakeholders, you know, for consumers, yeah. for, um, you know, future employees who want to check about, you know, whether they want to work with that company. For uh, governments who want to know whether they want to, you know, give out some uh, public contract to uh, this company or the other one, so there are a number of, of, of views of that. And if you can even look a bit, you know, uh, from 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 a broader perspective, you know, everything that is related to B two B activities, you know, any company that wants to engage with a business partner might be interested in knowing, you know, what what is the company I'm having to to work with or to to work to work uh, for, right? Uh, think about the advertising business, right? I think the uh, advertising companies are going to uh, be faced with increasing pressure about what kind of products you are actually advertising because, of course, you know, this is a huge impact on the consumption patterns and uh, you have your share of responsibility as, a, as an advertising company promoting this product or this business model rather than another one. And I think those companies, just like the, the financial community at one point in time, they're going to start to be interested about you know, should I really be uh, becoming uh, or taking that company as a client and promoting, I don't know, this uh, new generation of uh, electronic cigarettes? Is that something that I should be doing or not? But it's very easy to tell when it comes to, you know, products that are notoriously toxic. It's not so easy when it comes to more complicated situation. I was mentioning the tech sector, for instance. It's hard sometimes to, to realize all the impact that these uh, products might have on, on society and, and the planet. And um, as a as a as a CEO of an advertising company, I, I probably want to know. And if I may add, you know, one type of obvious additional client which we do not necessarily mention is initially the corporates themselves. Uh, we don't mention them because we do not want to be dependent for our revenues from corporates who can then influence the score that we will have on the company. But quite clearly, these corporates will be interested in finding out, you know, why they are performing better or worse than their competitors. And again, you know, the granularity of the platform will enable them not just to look at the overall score, but see on what dimension, you know, they are clearly not uh, doing well. And if I may add also on the consumer, I think the consumer is definitely uh, the constituency we're interested in. The problem there is that they are, they are thinking in terms of brands rather than corporates. So the one thing which we are thinking also to add is at some point, you know, relate also the analysis, not just to the corporate Unilever, but the specific brands yeah. in turn. Now, another way for us to uh, achieve our mission is to make sure that the data we produce is being used by as many constituents as, as we can. And, uh, and this is also why, you know, the, 
some some of that information, the scores, for instance, or the basic research, is also made available for free on the platform to uh, to anyone. Uh, because this is also how we believe we're going to uh, to create that uh, knowledge about the impact of company. This is also why the certification program is free. We want to create, we want to give out those skills to as many people as we want, and we want to bring that knowledge in the hand of as many citizen as we can, because we know that this is how we will get the scale uh, of change that we, we need to see in the world. I can imagine going onto Amazon and being able to make a decision based on the environmental or other impact of the companies or the brands that I would want to buy. But the question I want to ask you is that, you know, it's obvious that if you get this right, you know, this is going to be a sort of winner-takes-most type platform. And who are you up against? You know, are there other competitors? Are there other companies that are trying to do this at the same time as you? Many of them. I mean, this is a this is a brilliant industry. I mean, uh, look, uh, open the newspaper every day, and you hear about sustainability here and there. So everyone is interested in sustainability. Everyone knows that measuring that is a complex issue. Everyone knows there is a market for that. So, so yeah, many competitors, and 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 I think the most serious ones actually are the uh, the established players. Like, yeah, the, the same companies that that have uh, created the ESG rating that we want to uh, we now want to to go to go beyond. And um, and these companies are not just sitting there, right? They they, they know the limits of their model, and they try to find ways of uh, improving their. Uh, uh, their existing scoring to uh, to better answer the need of the the market. Now, where we have a chance is that um, those companies are all faced with the same issue about having their historic scores that they have been you know selling to their clients, and uh, either they change radically their methodology, and then they have to explain to their client that you know the score they 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 gave them or they sell them uh, they sold them uh, you know a few months or a few uh, years ago they're no longer valid. And then it creates a lot of problems in terms of backtesting and in terms of, you know, all the investment decisions that have been made based on those scores. All they have to gradually evolve those methodologies, and then they, you know, it will take some time before they can really have something that is impact-driven. So some of them have tried also to recreate a second offering, like, you know, I'm maintaining my first series of scores based on ESG, but then I create new products based on impact. And here again, it's, it's a bit complex for them to... Uh, to find the right marketing because uh, they basically ask their co- their clients to manage two different uh, scoring systems, right? So, uh, um, and most of those uh, of those um, companies are still um, you know faced with the, uh, the the limits of the that we have already described around uh, where the source of the information is coming from, the single expert model, which is also very costly yeah. in terms of fixed costs. I mean, there's a number of issues uh, with uh, with I would say the, the incumbent of the market. And why they're struggling to get into 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 that place. The other area of competition that we see is is those using uh, mainly, uh, uh, say, big data approach, yeah. as we mentioned already. And uh, for the reason that we've already detailed, we, we don't believe that this alone would be good enough to uh, to tackle the uh, the impact uh, measurement. Uh, at one point in time, you need to make a call. You need to make a judgment, right? You can gather information about what you know how many. Uh, uh, sources uh, or uh, uh, you know um, um, water sources uh, Nestle has privatized, uh, but you know who is going to make the call that uh, water privatization is more important than obesity, right? And uh, which you know which weight you should give to each of those topics into the calculation of the score of Nestle, right? 
And um, this is why also we believe that collective intelligence has a lot to, uh, to bring to the picture. And is anybody else taking a collective intelligence approach that you're aware of? To the best of our knowledge, not yet. Your approach clearly has very strong two-sided network effects, right? The more contributors you get, the more the you know, clients will be interested, or banks and other corporates will be interested in using the data, and therefore, you know, the more contributions you'll need to feed that. And, and so you can see how this drives very, very strong two-sided network effects. But do you think there are other network effects that you can achieve? You know, can you use the corporates, for example, to, to contribute data or to enrich the data to make this, you know, the the value propositions are stickier and, and better over time. Absolutely. So we're we're only starting to uh, to explore those uh, those new dimensions, those new uh, accelerating effects. I think uh, today short term is 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 a lot more around gamification that we're yeah. focusing because we need also to better incentivize um, the um, the people that come to the platform, not just to write analyses but to do ratings and to just to do readings, right? So to increase this this part of the community. But you're right. I mean, then then other uh, snowball effect that we could uh, we could trigger, and uh, particularly the one about having those corporates feeding themselves part of the information, not doing the rating themselves, of course. But you know, um, at the end of the day, we were saying that uh, corporates are not the only one that should be populating uh, this kind of data, but they they can be at least uh, you know um, providing part of the data, and those are related directly to the impact of their processes and practices. And, um, and so, yeah, it could be a very good uh, idea of, uh, of asking uh, those companies to, uh, to write up the good part that they want to defend. It doesn't change the fact that then it would be vetted and uh, controlled and, and rated in the same process as the rest of the information. And to balance that, you know, we can also look at other constituencies and typically what we have in mind is NGOs. Whose interest may be aligned with ours because you know, they have obviously a mission. They know a lot about uh, the companies and uh, the topics of interest to them. So, really tap into these uh, communities of members of NGOs to get you know, the balance to what we're going to get from the corporate sector. Yours is a for profit company. Do you think that that's a problem or in some way might dilute the purity of the mission? Or do you think that that kind of profit motive is essential to get the, the wheels turning properly for a platform like this? We've attended presentations from Wikipedia and heard the uh, founder lamenting about the difficulty he had to raise money. I myself you know, have uh, also venture foundations in the not-for-profit sector. And I think it's a fact that it's easier to raise money uh, in the private sector. Our project is extremely ambitious. We realize that we will need many rounds of financing before being self-sufficient. And for that reason, we thought that, you know, for profit was uh, probably uh, the best avenue. But we are a social enterprise. By that, we mean that uh, we have a mission. The mission is really at the core of what we're doing. Uh, being a social enterprise doesn't prevent you, at the same time, from, you know, uh, making the profitability, which will make you sustainable over the long term. You, earlier, you mentioned that 2021, I think, is, is a key date to start bringing clients or the buy side of the platform. What other key milestones do you have coming up in terms of calibrating and judging the success of your mission? Our first milestone is really mid-2021. And this is the magic figure of, you know, 1,000 companies covered. 1,000 companies covered to give you an idea that means, you know, uh, 
having probably about 10 times more analysis, 10 analysis per company, 10,000. And it means having probably about 500,000 ratings on the platform. So by then, you know, we so were just... What's the, what's the difference between this? You've got 1,000 companies, 10,000 impact analysis. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you call impact analysis. And that, yeah. And, that, and then what's the... The, the next step is that, you know, when uh, an analysis is posted on the platform, Obviously, uh, the writer is going to give his own assessment of the impact of the company described in his analysis, but we don't rely on one person. What we want is the community to read the analysis and make a judgment, assess whether the impact is positive or negative, whether it's big or small. And each of these contributions from uh, a visitor to the platform who read the analysis are called ratings. And as I say, you know, we, we believe that you know, not only you need many analyses for a company to form a view, but you need many people to read this analysis and form a judgment on whether the impact is positive or whether it's uh, large or small. I can imagine many people listening to this will be rooting for your success, right? Because if this is truly, if this is truly a success, then this will change society in, in a profound and very positive way. So if people want to get involved, if they want to undergo the certification process, if they want to become contributors, if they want to use the platform, what's the best way of finding out more? www.impact.com, I-N-P-A-A-K-T. This is where you find all the information. And I think if you want to, I mean, we make it easy for people to engage in the community and uh, as, as Silva mentioned, uh, we initially thought that, you know, it would be easy for anyone to write a short piece of analysis on one impact or one company. It's not the case. Not everybody is a, is a contributor. Not everybody has, you know, uh, is willing to spend, you know, a few, uh, a few hours, a few minutes writing up something and doing the research. So, but there's many other ways you can contribute. You can just go and read the information. Just reading the information is already making a difference because then you can use that information to decide again whether you want to work for that company, whether you want to invest in that company, whether you want to buy products from that company. Then the second very easy way is to do ratings. And to do rating, it requires you slightly more engagement because you need to read analysis and then you need to decide, you know, based on what you've just read, whether the analysis, the, the impact is, is bad or, or good and, and large or small. But by doing those ratings on the platform, you also contribute to forge a collective, you know, uh, evaluation of the impact of the company. And this is how we derive the scores. So those ratings are also very important today. And of course, the, the last step, which is the most uh, engaging one, but probably also in a way the most rewarding one, is to become a contributor. And, and this is very easy in a way. Uh, this is where the certification program gets into the picture. You just register there. We do two training a day, two to three training a day, depending on the day. We now have between, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 people registering to that webinar every single week. Wow. So we're training, you know, many, many people on the, the art of impact analysis. If after the training, you don't want to keep on then at least you've learned some skills, you can stop there and it's already mission accomplished as far as we're concerned. But if you want, you know, to use those skills and apply them and, and become one of those contributors in the platform, then just start submitting your analysis. You will be reviewed and published and you make money in the process. Sylvain, Benjamin, first of all, um, congratulations on the work that you're doing. Secondly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for your time. Yes.
Thank you for listening to Structural Shifts by Aperture. To learn more about us, visit aperture.co. We are strategy for the networked age. Until next time.